Hey everyone, welcome to this community episode of the Motherkind podcast. I am so happy that you are here. I love these community episodes. I love chatting to you, our listeners, our Motherkind community, about your experiences, insights, and journeys in motherhood. This week, we chat to the lovely Hannah. She is a mum of three boys. And in this episode, we talk about how she has navigated facing three huge life-altering events in one go. I loved Hannah. I loved her energy. I loved her wisdom and I loved her insights. And I really hope that you will too. Here it is. Hannah, I'm so excited to chat to you. Yes, I love your energy and you're just, you're such a calm presence. Thank you so much for being here. How was your weekend? We're recording this on Monday morning. So what have you been up to? So this weekend was quite a big one because my littlest boy is turning three this week. So we had a party on Saturday, which was actually really lovely. Really, really nice. I've got three boys. So I've been to a lot of kids parties and I'm just trying to find that sweet spot where it's fun and enjoyable for the kids, but also like pretty low stress for the adults as well. And I think gradually landing on a formula that works. Tell us your formula, please. You need to package that up and sell it, honestly. Kids parties. It's hard, isn't it? And I, because I've got the three different ages as well. I just went really minimal. I think at three, organized activities I've been to some really great parties. I'm too busy to organize a lot of stuff. And if I plan too much, I won't get it done. And then I'll be like stressed and shouty in the morning, which kind of ruins the party vibe, doesn't it? So we just hired a little community center room that has quite a good outside garden space all enclosed. And I just had like table of food that was out from the beginning. Oh, and this is a great tip. I don't know if your listeners would agree, but for me, we did it four till seven, which is quite an unusual time for a party. However, bear with me, (laughs) that's tea time, right? So you have the food out from the beginning, kids eat, run around, burn off loads of energy. And then when you get home, all you've got to do is go to bed. You don't have to worry about planning your whole day around this party. So I think timing, minimal activities, all ages, free flow in and out, bubble machine, bit of music, table of food for the parents. It was good. We had one the other day that was, was it 8.30 to 10? It was like a little breakfast. And we were like, oh my God, this is so good. So we just got the girls up. Only Rose went actually, got her up, took her there. They gave them pancakes. It had a bit of soft play, came home. We had the rest of the day. I was like, this is really good. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, I'm all about like bookending parties. Bookending. It's a new thing. It takes quite a lot of confidence though, doesn't it? Because I don't know it's like around you, but around me, people do a lot. They're becoming a thing. Like a lot of time, energy, cost going into, and I completely get it. And I think, you know, it's definitely a place where I think mums can sometimes explore that creative side of themselves at doing a party. But it can also create pressure and comparison and, you know, everything that we don't want to come with what's meant to be like a fun little thing. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's probably not even intentional, but like you say, if you've got the time and if that's something that lights you up, like organizing stuff, then yeah, people can go all out, can't they? I feel like in a way I'm kind of lucky because my resources are limited. You know, I've got three kids, two jobs, a dog. There is just only so much I can do. Like I cannot compete. 
at some point along the journey, I've kind of excused myself. <laughs> just tapping out of that race. I like it. <laughs> just leave it. But it is, it's tricky. And we all just want our kids to have a lovely time ultimately, don't we? And, and I think, but they don't need much. In my experience, you know, through working with kids and having kids, if you've ever been to a baby group or a toddler group, my kids, they'll be all right while the toys are out and the singing's on, but it's when they pack the room away and it's empty, they all just start tearing about and having a great time. I think they just want space to have fun. It's true. There's so much in just simplicity. Yes, please. More of that. More of it. We need more of it. <laughs> so tell me about your three kids. So tell me about how you've got a lot of motherhood, a lot of motherhood stories, a lot of motherhood insights. Tell us about what you want to share with everyone today. Oh, there's so much that I want to share. I've thought about it a lot because I've listened to this podcast for a really long time and I found like such comfort and validation and reassurance in the voices that have been on here and you as well. It's just been so nice to be connected. So I've really tried to think about what are the kind of most important or meaningful things that I want to share. So I mentioned I've got three boys. They are eight and five and just about to be three. And we've got a little dog and yeah, I live with my partner. We've been together since I was 16. So I've got this super long-term relationship. What I always notice about my experience is I'm really tuned into like the duality of things. I love this word like and. And my childhood was so different to my motherhood. I had really like wonderful upbringing, which is really different. So my mum was a single mum, her and my dad, they never lived together. So they had like a good friendship, but they weren't living together by the time I was born. So I never had to experience like the kind of friction and pain of separation. I just had these two like lovely people who really cared about me, but I grew up in a house with just me and my mum. So it was like a very quiet kind of, I don't like to subscribe too much to gender stereotypes, but it was quite a girly and that it was pink and fluffy but I'd sit and do coloring and we would play my little ponies together and I would go and see her like friends with her it was just a very friendshipy sort of quiet lady house <laughs> I don't know how else to put it and now I find myself in a really long-term relationship that is like a glorious thing that I'm so grateful for with these three boys who are like balls of energy and just literally like pinging off the walls so I've had to learn a lot that I didn't have role model to me not through lack of parenting but just through experience it just is so different so that's been a really interesting kind of part of my journey having that very very different space you said I've had to learn a lot how have you learned that I always think about this because there's so much you can learn from books and podcasts, but it's almost like that can only take you so far. I don't know if you know what I mean, what if I'm sort of being clear, but I learn so much through watching others as well and watching what they do. Like, how have you actually learned what you've learned? That's such a good question. And I completely get what you're saying. I'm like a absolute hoover for information, right? I love learning stuff. And I picked this up from you as well, Zoe. That was one of the things that clicked with me when I started listening to your podcast like a few years ago. I was like, ah, oh, this lady's like me. Um, and I will just absolutely consume loads of information. Also, my background is I've worked with like children, families, mums and babies as a breastfeeding supporter, like teenagers as a youth worker, I've worked in mental health. So really worked with people all along along the sort of journey of childhood and parenthood. So I've got like a lot of like great information, which is a good starting point. But one of the things that I really think I get quite on a soapbox about it, this is a little bit of a sidetrack from the question, but I will come back to it, is that we as parents and as mothers have this huge 
amount of information. There's just this massive depth of awareness, haven't we? This massive depth of awareness. We know so much. We know what we really need to do to give our children the best chance of being. I suppose I focus a lot on mental health, you know, and physical health, but we want to raise children that are mentally healthy and able to cope with this world that they're coming into. So we've got the what piece and we've got the why, like we know the possible consequences of like in inverted commas, getting it wrong, which, you know, we have this creates like a lot of pressure. So we know all of this stuff and we are more stretched than we've ever been. I think in history, you know, because we're trying to do all the things and do them really well. But what we're missing is like this, how piece, like how do you integrate it? How do you make it work? And I think, that gap between the awareness and the pressure we're under and the kind of find ourselves in fight or flight, like frozen, unable to implement all of these important things. And that's something I've definitely had to navigate. I think it's just been a lot of letting go and like, I don't know, this is going to sound a bit vague, but just really dropping in with the kids. Just like I see it as this just dropping into their world and letting them teach me stuff. One of the themes I've really noticed in the community episodes I've been listening to, and I think just with mums in general, is this perfectionism piece, right? So a lot of people, we find our perfectionism is kind of triggered when we become parents because our capacity to get stuff done is just reduced. And I find it really interesting because I've never really identified as a perfectionist, quite like messy person, I'm a bit late. You know, I've always been kind of comfortable in the things that I'm good at and the things that don't come very easily to me. And I am quite laid back. But when I became a mum, I didn't realise But my perfectionism is around raising my kids to be well and happy. And then the stakes are so high. Do you know what I mean? I can let the washing up sit there for an extra hour while I play with the kids. I can deal with that. But worrying about meeting their needs in a way that's or role modelling something that's not right or being snappy when I don't want to be snappy. So I found this perfectionism that I didn't know was there. And I don't think I even recognised it for what it was starting to creep in. I think I just had it shaken out of me, really, because you can't control it. It's just not something that that can be controlled. But I really have had to learn that through sort of trial and error and stress and release. Oh, my God, me too. And I so relate. I mean, to be fair, I was always a perfectionist. I always struggled with that. But especially when I started reading about reparenting and cycle breaking that I'm super passionate about and I've done loads of episodes on, but also it's such a double-edged sword because I got myself for a while, like probably two or three years into the podcast, I was like, I've got to really look at this because I was almost, I wasn't paralyzed, but I knew so much about it and there's so much that I wanted to do differently around emotional health than I had been modelled I think sometimes it was definitely detrimental to what you're saying, which is just that dropping in. And I feel like I'm there now. And why I did actually was I stopped all talking therapy. I was like, I've done enough talking. And I just started doing loads more body stuff. Talked about it a lot on the podcast. I just started doing a lot more somatic, which is just a posh word for like getting into your body. And I started screaming into pillows and releasing it all that way. And do you know what? That really, really helped me because I think you're so right. We know more than ever but we have less support than ever. And that is just a perfect storm for pressure and feeling like a failure, particularly if you're like me and you bring in this sort of not enoughness that I, I've had my whole life and I brought that into motherhood. Like, I'm, am I going to be good enough for these girls, like these just amazing humans? I'm not good enough. And that 
coupled with the pressure and the knowledge that I had. Yeah, it's a lot. It is a lot, isn't it? And it matters so much. I think I can rationalize myself like in and out of a lot of thought processes. But when it comes to kids, it matters more than anything, I think, for me and for a lot of us. And also there's no end point. There's no destination. You don't get somewhere and you get your score sheet back and say, oh, we've done really well. And I love external validation, right? I like the greatest school, love like a gold star or like a little pat on the back. And you don't get that from kids. Actually, you get the opposite. When you're really meeting them where they are, you get quite a lot of backlash, don't you? And I think from the outside as well, it can look like you're not doing it right or like you haven't got a handle on things, you know, when you're welcoming all of these emotions. And I think from people who are watching you from the outside, you have to be really strong and kind of rebellious in it all, don't you, I think? 100% also. You know, it took me a while to get this, that part of being the mother I want to be is upsetting my children. Like that took me a long time to get because I, again, have this like people pleaser in me. that I just want to smooth everything over. And then I really learned like, actually, it's like you were saying that duality for me, I've really learned this and like all feelings are welcome and you're not having the chocolate and you can have a meltdown for three hours about that. But that's what's happening. And it took me a long time to be all right with the three-hour meltdown. Like, I'm really good at validating. I'm really good at that. I'm really good at welcoming all the emotions. Not so good at the hard limit because my girls, because we've always let all feelings, they really have the feelings. They don't go, oh, cool, okay, I'm just going to swallow that anger. No, 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 the anger comes out for a long time. Yeah, and it's not easy. It's what we want, and it's horrible sometimes. Exactly. And that's why I then started to get really interested in regulating my nervous system. And then I started doing loads of that on the podcast because I was like, actually, I can't hold these feelings that they're having unless I'm all right, unless I'm regulated. Otherwise, I was just caving or freezing or disassociating. Yeah, I think that's so true. And the stuff about self-regulation and getting back into our bodies, because we're really good at doing, aren't we? We're always doing. And like when we're faced with a meltdown, the temptation is to do, isn't it? Let's distract out of it. Let's put an end to this. Let's calm you down. Let's fix it, take it away. And actually, you're completely right. And we just need to welcome it and allow it. And I think for me, with boundaries, when I'm depleted or overwhelmed or just not taking care of myself, which happens a lot because I'm busy and that's just how it goes, the first thing to go is my boundaries. They go to absolute mush and the kids, they just know. They can just tell and they just push. Before I know it, I've like retract, like backstepped like loads of work that we've done and just given into accidentally given into tablet or chocolate or whatever it is. And the thing that I found really helpful with boundaries is getting really clear on why. So with my youngest, like my eldest didn't have any screens he, until he was, I don't even know, nearly in school, probably, you know, he had a bit of telly here and there, but very limited. But my youngest, because the older boys watch different things, he has a bit of tablet time and he's addicted because he's like, you know, three and like, they can't regulate that, can they? And when you take it away, he goes nuts, he goes absolutely nuts. And it's horrendous for everyone. We were getting in this loop with either caving in, distracting, bribing, threatening, like all the bad things that you're not supposed to do. And then I just had this like revelation of, well, of course he can't regulate himself on a tablet. I can barely regulate myself with my phone use. So I just need to be the grown up here and I need to take it away. And that's fine. I know why, because I don't want him to be addicted to screens because I love him dearly and he's not able to do that for himself. So I just take it away. And having that 
understanding of why I'm holding the boundary, which sounds so obvious and maybe it's really obvious to everyone, but for me, it really clicked. Once I've got that why, I can hold really tight to that. And then I'm able to be with all of the feelings because I think, oh, this is really hard. And I don't have to verbalize it unless it's appropriate, but I just know that's cool. I'm doing this out of love. And of course, you're not going to like it. And that's fine. So I always try and get back to my why with the boundaries as and when I can. But it's difficult. And you become like, I've described it as like being the emotional sponge for the house where you just like mop up everybody's feelings, like everyone go around slurping them all up. And then where do you get wrung out? And that's where the somatic piece comes in, isn't it? It's so true. Uh, Gabo Marte says that. He said that to me on the podcast. He said, women are the emotional shock absorbers of the family. And I was like, oh, I just love that line so much because it so resonates like we do. And it's not just our immediate family. We're also taking calls from our elderly parents about whatever's going on with them. Where are we getting our release? Like, where's that happening? We're not. We're just going, 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 going. Yeah. And we don't notice because we're so busy doing, like we don't do, we do a lot of doing and not enough being, right? Because it's hard to be. And then sometimes you realize just how full up you were. Like in lockdown, I noticed that I was like grinding my teeth, which I've never done before. Found my like, this clenched jaw. And I just noticed that like a lot of the day I spent like that. And I didn't think I was any more or less stressed than usual, but it was just manifesting physically. So we need to make time to just check in and kind of think, right, do I need a little squeeze out of the emotional sponge? I think those physical symptoms are often like the way in for a lot of people, you know, like a reoccurring backache or reoccurring illness or, and again, this is sort of Gabor Mate's work, isn't it? And that amazing body keeps score. And when the body says no, like all that sort of stuff, just, you know, I'll just call it stuff, that stuff, that amazing groundbreaking stuff. It's often the way in. Like sometimes I get this, it's amazing actually, this right shoulder ache. It's always my right shoulder. And that is how I know that I'm taking on too much. It's not amazing, but I only know that because of those, you know, incredible books and things that I've learned that that is then telling me that I'm taking on too much. And it's such a great opportunity, isn't it? To like role model stuff like that to your kids. I think the body work. And I think you have this opportunity with children, like you said, about the reparenting And it's amazing because like we've got such little resource, but we've got this incredible opportunity and motivation to do this work and being in tune with your body. Kids are already so great at it. They're already there. All the things that we're trying to relearn as adults, kids have got that down. Like then they're bouncing off the walls before bedtime. They're just regulating themselves. Like we're always trying to put a lid on it, aren't we? You know, when they're screaming and shouting or like my boys, they play fight. That wasn't something that existed in my house. I had no map for play fighting. I just hadn't seen it. It wasn't something that, though I didn't have any siblings to play fight with. But I have had to learn through observation and just gradually kind of stepping back and allowing it to play out. That They're just meeting their needs and they're just getting on with it. And if somebody gets hurt, they will come and tell me, you know, like I just do a little risk assessment. Like what are we looking at here? Like possible life and death potential hospital visit or like tears and a plaster tears and a plaster fine hospital rather avoid top end okay I'm coming in (laughs) it's so true because I've had loads of can't remember the exact guest who said it but one of the incredible I think she was a child psychologist was talking about that's like a technique that you get your kids to do 20 minutes play jumping on the bed she was talking about she was saying that's actually what you want to do to deregulate them before 
sleep. And I was thinking the same as you. I was like, oh, my kids naturally do that. They just run up and down the hall. They go mental before bedtime. Guy was always trying to stop it. And I said to him, like, no, 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 this is a thing. I've had this person on and it's a thing. They know what they're doing. Just let them do it. It's really interesting, isn't it, about trusting them more. I need to hear it still from an authority. And then I'm like, okay, this is okay. This is a thing. I know. That's the thing, isn't it? That was like, I remember when I brought my first baby home, I remember thinking like, when are the grown-ups coming? When is there going to be a grown-up? And that is like a theme that I'm just every day remembering, I'm the grown-up. I'm the grown-up here. You're so right. And just that self-trust, you know, I think that's a journey of a lifetime for most people. It is. And I get quite passionate talking about all the things in place in society that are there intentionally or unintentionally that disconnect us from our intuition and I don't mean like a magical like oh you're just going to know what to do with your baby but I really struggled with um, breastfeeding my first baby and I went on to become a volunteer supporter but I got some great help from the breastfeeding network and I've been struggling on my own for a few weeks and a lady just phoned me. It was an amazing time because they would just ring you and check in like, a few weeks in and it was like an angel because she really validated a lot of stuff. And she can't remember exactly what she said, but what I came away with was this, right, hang on, just stop and listen and look and tune in. And do I think my baby's all right? And I think he is all right. You know, like I know the external measures, the wet nappies and waking for feeds and, and I can use that to help me. But when I really feel connected to my baby, do I think he's all right? And I've used that so much through motherhood. You really have to work very hard to silence all the noise, especially if you're like a well-informed parent who likes to do research. You have to use that as useful, but pop it to one side and just really check in and think, right, what is going on here? I know this kid. Are they actually all right? And a lot of the time they probably are and it's our own stuff that we're bringing to it. And if they're not, like we were saying with the meltdown, it's not our job to fix it, is it? It's our job to show them that they can come through it and be like a strong captain of the ship like that helps them kind of navigate the waters. But, you know, I learned it back then, like on day 10 with my first child, but I'm still relearning it again and again and again and again. It's almost like most of that wisdom, I think, just takes a lifetime to learn right I don't think it's like you learn it and then that's it it's a continual thing where you're like oh messed up oh try it a different way oh it's continual I think I do struggle with this sort of idea that social media especially Instagram it's like how to heal like it's a sort of end point I'm like oh I'm not I'm not sure it's an end point well that's not my experience maybe it's with some people it's definitely not my experience no, I've not got there yet. And I think it's tricky, isn't it? Because like with social media, it's all short form, isn't it? So everything is quite punchy and five things to do this and six things you mustn't do and 10 things you're doing wrong. I'm sure that's not the intention behind a lot of this stuff, but it's got to be like grabby and eye-catchy. But the result is that we have this, like a real kind of like fear piece around it. And one of the things that I love, have you ever heard the like 30% wrong? You've got a lot of scope for getting it wrong. And actually, you've only really got to be kind of doing all right at it for that sort of one third of the time. I love that. And I love the rupture and repair. You know, every time things don't go to plan, we've got this opportunity to strengthen the relationship by coming back together stronger. Like I always think about it like building muscles, isn't it? Like you have to kind of damage them a little bit for them to grow back stronger. And then on top of that, this role modeling. Whenever we get it wrong, we've got a chance to show our kids how to get it wrong, which is so important in life. And we show them 
that we make mistakes and that we're not perfect because kids would not do well with perfect parents. Like that's quite a horrendous thing to have to try and live up to. So by getting it wrong, we are really getting it right. I love it. And you know, that rupture and repair thing, Mastin Kip, who's like this sort of trauma specialist from the States, he said to me, love is made in the repair. And I will always remember that from the podcast because I'd never, ever thought of it that way because I was conflict avoidant and I was a people pleaser. So I was like, no, 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 love is made in just pretending that everything's fine. That was literally my model. You just be nice to everyone and that's how love gets made, right? And then I really, you really changed my world a little bit with those words. I think it's six words because I was like, oh yeah, like that's right. You fall out. And then you repair and it makes your connection stronger. It makes your love stronger. It makes your trust stronger. I'm still working on that, to be honest. Like I really am at that people pleaser, that desire to just want to push it down and say, it's fine, don't worry about it. It's really strong in me. But that's so, so, so helped me, particularly in my friendships and my other relationships. Love is made in the repair. It's so simple, but it's so powerful, isn't it? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe, non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash motherkind. It's so powerful. And I remember that episode and I wrote that sentence. Did you? Yeah, because it hit me so hard. I think I really connect to the people, please, and stuff. Like, I'm quite easygoing and I'm like very, like, I just have like a lot, I'm quite a joyful person. So a lot of my relationships are built on it being easy and fun, like most of the time. And it is generally, but I really do sometimes need permission to like just think about our own needs and stuff and just permission to say no or to disagree or to be a little bit unhappy about something. And I think that piece about that's even more loving, isn't it? To be able to go through that and come back together stronger. Like that's how it's made. I love it. It's so funny you wrote that down too. I remember right down, I had it on a post-it. Love is made in the repair. Just help me remember it. Gosh, it's just so, so poignant and important. I wanted to ask, you were pregnant through Black Square Summer. Is that right? And I just wanted to ask you about what that was like for you because that's two huge things in your world going on. Three huge things, right? Pandemic, massive magnifying glass on race and racism and systemic racism and microaggressions and everything that you know. I know I learned through that time. And then being pregnant. It was bananas. <laughs> it was bananas. Because the pregnancy was a surprise pregnancy. <laughs> uh, I say a surprise. It wasn't on the plan. It's been glorious. It's everything about it. It's been so great. But yeah, so I found myself pregnant we, at the end of 2019. And we were like, right, we're going ahead with this. We're, we're going to be parents of three kids. And I just got this new job. And it was all kind of crazy. And we were like, okay, we're going to do it. So we were there ready and braced, thinking that we'd encountered all of the surprises. And then 
January 2020, the world started to gradually shut down. And then by March 2020, I must have been about six months pregnant. Um, and I was working for the NHS. We had this real like war spirit, which I kind of like. Like I'm quite good in a crisis. And I was like, I'm ready to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to go on the front line. I'm going to like sit with people in their final hours and like hold their hand. And, you know, none of that was asked of me, but I was ready. And I got sent home from work. My birthday's on the 23rd of March. And I think maybe that same week, because that's what that was the beginning of lockdown was the 23rd of March. That was a nice day to mark it. And I think the week, yeah, the week before that, my boss sat me down and said, yeah, you've got to go home. And I was like, but what if I want to stay? And he said, you're too high risk. And the risk was around pregnancy, but the risk was also around being from like an ethnic minority background. Um, Forget that your listeners can't see me, but my mum's from Cornwall and my dad's from Grenada in the Caribbean. So yeah, so I found myself in this kind of high risk group, which was really weird. I've always been very textbook. I'm like a really average height. I've got really average shoe size. Like everything about me is just like very like normal. (laughs) I don't go outside the box and I really have just gone through life being like, easy and not like just standard and all my pregnancies were really textbook and I knew this pregnancy was fine but no one had any information and there was just a lot of fear coming in from the media so that was kind of the background for me and then just around the time that my baby was due we had this like next level global trauma of watching a man die which was like I watched it I shouldn't have watched it part of me wanted to kind of I don't know how to explain it. It wasn't like a rubbernecking kind of thing. It's just almost out of respect. I just get this thing of like, I need to feel it. But it was so heavy and everyone was going through so much. And I grew up with my like white mom in like quite a white area. I've got like a really strong connection with my dad's side of the family. So I've got that piece. But in my kind of everyday life, I've never really thought about race. I never really thought about being different. And all of a sudden because of the risk around the pandemic and being pregnant, black maternal mental health is much worse. We have like much poorer outcomes. I hadn't thought about it in my previous pregnancies, but you have like the five times more kind of campaign, which I I won't talk about now, but people can look that up. So there's all of these risk factors. And then I was watching the world go through this trauma because everyone was traumatized by it because it was horrible. You know, whatever your experience of race or otherness, it can't not hit you. I just remember like, a bit of a stillness around it. I had a lot of people on social media and I saw a lot of really well-meaning crusading, you know, like people taking people down and, you know, saying, I've saw someone say this or someone shared a post about this and I've messaged them and I told them, you can't say that. And this is why you can't say that. And I just felt really alone in my experience. I felt really distanced because I've never felt like I could be a spokesperson for brown people. I would say I'm a brown person because I'm not as dark as like some people in my family and I'm not as light as my mom. So that's kind of where I find myself on the spectrum. But it's not something I'd ever spoken about. People were messaging me like support because the things on social media were like, reach out to your black friends at this time. And that was lovely, but I've never been a victim of direct racism, of overt racism. But because of all of the stuff that was coming out, we were all forced to confront it. So I had to look back and think, Maybe I have had a hard time. Maybe I have come up against obstacles and just not been aware of how my race has kind of played out, you know, throughout my life. And that is a very, I can't think of a better word other than discombobulating experience. (laughs) It was just like a lot of questions at this time when we were so isolated from people. And I really felt even more isolated in my experience then because 
I didn't have anyone who had navigated the world in the same way as me being an only child. You know, I've got half siblings who I adore, but they grew up in a different house with each other. And I just felt like I haven't suffered enough to suffer with black people because I've never been afraid of like being hurt by the police or being accidentally arrested because I'm like a, an innocuous kind of woman <laughs> just going about my life. I just didn't know where I fit. I didn't know if I should be angry. And then I felt kind of like I wasn't doing enough compared to like a lot of white people who were out educating and shouting. And I thought, should I be doing this? And I just felt really very disconnected from people and from my kind of past. So it was like a really huge moment. It was a huge, huge moment on so many levels. And then I had this baby, (laughs) I had this third baby, you know, right in the middle of it all. Fast forward to now, that year was the making of me. It really, really was. It shook me up and I had so many different layers of feelings, you know. It was very lonely. It was very strange. And I also had this amazing summer with my new family of what, you know, we're now five. So, you know, my partner was home on furlough a lot, which was a gift to have him around when my baby was tiny. You know, the big boys were off school and we just really kind of locked in together. And then since then, I've kind of been on my own journey as well of, yeah, looking back, thinking about ancestry and really trying to connect with what that experience could be for me. And that's quite an exciting chapter because I think when you have kids, you start to think about your history a bit more, don't you? And it's not something that I'd ever really tapped into, but I kind of was forced to think about it then in a way that I hadn't thought about it before. Yeah, it was a wild ride was 2020. And that's like without even going into the birth of my third baby. because That's a whole nother story. We're going to follow up on that for sure, because that's an amazing story. It's kind of messy, you know, when I, I feel like I would love to be able to say, this was my experience of that kind of resurgence of Black Lives Matter. And this is what people need to do. But I don't have an answer. And I can't speak for anyone really other than myself. But I felt really alone in that experience at the time. And now through speaking to people, I know it's not just me. And I really hope that there might be someone that's listening that can connect with that as well. Because it's a very, very strange space to be in at a very, very strange time. Well, it's back to that sort of almost that perfect storm idea, isn't it? That's so many things coming at once. You know, looking back on it and you said, you know, that was the year that changed my life. How do you feel differently about it now? What do you think that year gave you? I want to say I know who I am now. And it's not like I didn't know who I was before. And it's not like, oh, I've arrived at a destination where I'm just like fully in tune and aligned. Because like we say, that never happens. It just peeled away a lot of layers. You know, the pandemic told us that nothing's permanent and you can't take anything for granted. What you think is normal life is not normal life. It could have really broken me that year. Like it could have really broken me. That makes me quite emotional. I had a lot of loss in between my children being born. I lost three very, very close relatives. So I already had that understanding of like nothing's forever. And the pandemic really cemented that. And I think, yeah, I just really connected with my inner resilience that I can do really, really hard stuff. And I didn't really believe that about myself fully until then. So I think that's what it is. I just feel a bit more lighthearted about life. I used to have this like, after becoming a mum, it was like not an obsession with time, but like a panicked feeling about time. 
I wish I'd done a master's before I had kids or I wish I'd got to this position so I had really good maternity pay. I wish I'd set up my own business so I could be like a stay-at-home working mum. Like, we all know that that's not the easy option. <laughs> but at the time, I remember thinking like, quick, 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 get this stuff done, get this stuff sorted. You're running out of time, you're running out of time. And weirdly, that year, and I don't know if it is just age and experience, but I think a lot changed in that year of like, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? You've just got really now... And what you're doing right now, and the kids are not little for long. This time, every day is like a little new adventure. And it's hard. It's really hard. And sometimes you don't want to do it. But it just really gave me like a presence and an acceptance for where we are now, I suppose. Mm, That's really beautiful. And I think it's so true that in the panicking about the passing of time, we're not present. It's like life is happening in this moment and if you're panicking about it going too quick it's almost like you're creating what you want to avoid which is you're missing it exactly it's like that sort of paradox that's the right word that's the word I was looking for oh my gosh that's so beautiful what an amazing way and a sort of weaving way to land on that idea as we come to the end and in a way you've given us a beautiful gift already in that thought alone but what is the gift that you would like to give to all mums in the world and why? Oh, I've thought about this loads. Every time I listen to the podcast, I have a different answer. (laughs) But I think what I've landed on is less judgment, more joy. And I mean, less judgment for other people, less judgment from other people, but most of all, less judgment of ourselves. Because all the time that we have feelings about our feelings and thoughts about our thoughts, you know, passing judgment on, oh, I'm angry and I shouldn't be so angry or I don't want to do this and I should want to do this. I'm not enjoying this and I should be enjoying it. We take ourselves out of the moment and I'm like, I'm obsessed with self-compassion. I love your episodes around that. And I think one of the main ways that we send ourselves into this adrenaline fueled state is with that inner critic telling us these kind of should things. And I think when we take that away, you have this ability to be present and to experience the tough stuff, but also to experience the joy because it's hard. Being parents really hard and it's scary and infuriating and painful. And sometimes it's like gross and you just like all these different unattractive feelings that we just want to escape from. And there's so much in the world, isn't there, that takes us out of the moment, out of our bodies. Like it's very easy to avoid. And I think we can be in the moment with our kids, but instead we're thinking, oh, I'm going to be late. Oh, I shouldn't have shouted earlier. What are they going to have for dinner? All this stuff is just taking us out and away from the moment. And really, who do those priorities belong to? Are they our priorities or are they someone else's that have kind of like snuck in and are stealing our ability to do what we really sort of want to and intend to in the moment? I think like I was thinking about it in bed the other night. My I've putting three kids to bed in the same room. They've all just recently moved into the same room and it's it's nuts it's nuts it's like whack-a-mole I'm trying to keep them all quiet so they don't wake each other up and it's really stressful I always feel like they're good for my partner and they don't do what I need them to do and I think that makes me look like a bad parent I'm too self blah 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 and I get really snappy I had this really snappy stressful bedtime and we're lying in bed and it's been quiet I mean with my three nearly three-year-old few minutes have passed I'm thinking right Colin get downstairs make dinner and then through the silence I hear like mum I'm like, oh, Raffi, shush. Mum, lick me. I'm jam, he says. <laughs> I, just, I just lost it. I just burst out laughing. And like, Raffi's laughing. My elder two are laughing. It's like gone eight o'clock. Everyone needs to be asleep. But do they? Does it really matter in that moment? And isn't it just like 
glorious that through all of that stress, it gives me like goosebumps thinking about it now that everything else just falls away and you're just all laughing. And I know I've got to go back to the beginning and resettle everybody. And I know it's going to be another half an hour before I go back downstairs. But where does that come from? Like, it's that, it's that ability. And we're never going to be able to do it all the time. And I really want to say it doesn't have to be sunshine and flowers all the time but if you can find one little moment where you're able to just shed those layers of other people's priorities and shoulds and have tos and just drop into the bananas world that you get from having kids and the magic people pay a lot of money for experiences like that right so yeah less judgment more joy i love that story and i've had the same experiences and i think I think it's just one of the best skills to develop in motherhood is that ability because it's so hard and there's so much that isn't fun, but that ability to soak up those little fleeting moments of fun and joy is just such a good thing to learn to be able to do. I was never taught how to do that, how to grab those moments and lean into them and remember them and because the rest of it can be just so, you know, hamster wheelie. Yeah, and depleting. And those moments will nourish you. They will nourish you and get you through all of the hard stuff. We need them and everyone must have permission to enjoy them, whatever else is going on. I think that's really important. Oh, thank you so much. I've absolutely loved this conversation. It's going to be our longest community episode, but I'm not surprised because I just was lapping up everything that you were saying. And I've actually jotted some notes down for myself of things that you were saying that I just really want to remember. So thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy and a pleasure. And thank you for being such a beautiful part of our community. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Zoe. It means so much. I love this podcast and it is just a real privilege to be able to kind of have a voice and share my story with everyone. So thank you. So that was the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. If you want to be part of our Motherkind community and share your experiences in one of these episodes, then just email angie at motherkind.co and we will get back to you. And also just a reminder, I will see you on Monday for our moment clip where we share a tool, an idea or a concept that will help you have an easier motherhood. We will see you back here on Thursday for our in-depth interview and on Friday, where again, we chat to one of our community. See you next time. 